Thomas. Hi, Elliot. How are you? I'm really, really well. How are Hi, you doing? Hi, listeners. How are you doing? Thanks for tuning in to Do You Queer What I Queer. That's Tom. And that's Elliot. And together we are Dickwick. And guess what? What? Tom and I survived Pride. I Listen, I wouldn't say survived. Yeah, so... I'm not I, through the woods yet. I come in today and uh, Tom is just making all kinds of noises. Cackling, crying, <laughs> spinning around. Tom, are it you... A, it was a weekend. Yeah. I'm not... 21 years old anymore and I have to stop behaving like I am it's nice to recognize those things I'm tired of me I'm tired of you too listen I've been saying this for years <laughs> I'm happy you're finally waking up to how exhausted we all well, are was your, uh, so this past weekend was pride weekend here in Toronto and how was yours Elliot my pride was really nice I um I think I took it easier than I normally do in a lot of ways, which is cute and nice. However, I still feel destroyed and I still didn't really take it easy. Um, but it was full of like queer joy and chosen family and like hot, fun things. And also um, I marched in the parade, which was really fun with Rainbow Railroad, um, which is brought up in this episode, actually. Um, so that was really beautiful to get to do that with that organization that I love and respect so dearly. Um and uh, I also volunteered for Pride at th- one of the stages that had a phenomenal lineup of queer trans um, like drag artists, and it was it, it was it filled my soul so wonderfully. So yeah, how was how was yours? Um, I guess mine wasn't as soul filling as you, but you're right. It was a weekend of of friends and and Tom being a s- my phone going off and grabby um, street rat. Yeah, I was I was street rat, but I was surrounded by a lot of people who I love, and um, yeah, that's what Pride was for me. I was also marching in the parade with the Toronto Gay Hockey Association, and it was quite the slog. I loved it. I was able to finish the parade early and run around in time to catch Tom being a, just a slog trough in the streets. It was amazing. What a slog trough! I was running the whole time with my bare feet. Mm, I now saw my that. My calves are like on fire I can't go up or down stairs also that's so fucking dangerous Tom to wear bare feet all the way down Yonge Street I don't understand listen I never claim to be cute ah uh, listen <laughs> and yet you are look everybody we are really trying to turn out this energy we're not about apologies here so I'm not going to give you one all I'm going to say is that souls have been sucked in lots of different ways you know it doesn't suck my soul this episode it's really fucking cool um, Justin Ling joins us who uh, is a personal idol of yours? Yes, absolutely. So, um, watching Elliot sort of freak o- freak out over this guest was really cool. Yeah, you can tell in this episode there's some fast talky. I'm really excited moments. Um, <laughs> and personally, I love it. I, I yeah. hope I hope you all love it too. And you silenced me, which I really appreciate. Oh, you're welcome. Because um, it needs to happen more. Yeah, well, that's my kink is silencing you specifically uh, <laughs> and acutely. Uh, and perpetually even, so I think I'm going to try and keep doing that, and I'll just roll right through this introduction then, Thomas. Just kidding, please talk. <laughs> no, no, um, why don't you set it up? I know that you were doing some tinkling yeah. over there. Um, I don't want to I don't want to set it up too, too much, because I don't want to give you all the impression that you shouldn't listen to yes. Uncover the Village, yes. which is, of course, Justin Ling's podcast um, with the CBC, Justin Ling being an investigative freelance journalist. And so basically what Uncover the Village is all about is um, 
the stories surrounding the serial killings in the village from 2010 to 2017. However, um, going back to the 70s, looking at uh, structural oppression, uh, the history of policing in the queer community, and both the way that Justin speaks about it in this interview, in his other interviews, and also, uh, of course, in Uncover the Village, I think that for anyone who's unsure uh, where to start on the conversation as to why police aren't allowed to march in uniform, or I should say are asked to not march in uniform, um, that's a good place to start. Yeah. So let me just set it up briefly. Um, I'm sure most people know listening, but let's do this anyway. So uh, for those of you uh, who will not want to refresh your Bruce MacArthur um, was responsible for the murder of at least let we know of eight, eight men in the village between 2010 to 2017. Um, and something that is great about the village. And Justin says this, not in this interview, but in another one is that uh the show is not just about making these the eight victims. It's about giving them their subjectivities, their histories. Uh, you you hear from the families. It's mm-hmm. fucking heart wrenching. It's hard. It's a hard listen. It's f- fantastic. But it's excellently done. Like, Please go listen yeah. to it. So um, the known victims of Bruce MacArthur are Abdul Bazir Faizi, Majid Kayan, Skandaraj Navaratnam, Sarush Mahmoodi, Andrew Kinsman, Salim Essen, Dean Lisowick and Karushna Kumar Kanagaratnam. And um, so most of those men were um, men of color that were marginalized um, in in their own communities and were getting to experience a queer community when they were targeted specifically by MacArthur. Um, And yeah, so that's also another facet of of this story, of this awful true story. Um, And Bruce MacArthur was a landscaper and this is really disturbing. So if anyone's really disturbed by this, please turn this off. But the remains of seven of these men were found scattered in four planters at the homes, um, one of the families that he did landscaping for. And then the eighth body was found in a ravine behind the home um, of this one person's home. That's really fucked up and sad. It's really fucked up and sad. And I mean, we've been talking about this since yeah. literally the first episode. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so in January 29th, 2019, Bruce MacArthur had pled guilty and was charged, uh, of course, with first degree murder of eight counts and um, got life without the option for parole until he's 91 years old. So I guess that's like the little intro, little tidbit. Right. It brings um, up a lot of interesting questions. I mean, do you wake up at age 60 and become a, ser- a serial killer? Like how long have actually these killings been going on for and where have they been? This is another thing as well. And I think that he is actually known as the oldest active serial killer in Canada. Um, although I could be wrong about that. Um, and then also too, so he uh, he had had another act of violence in the past. And I think that he was known for being a bit of a scary person is the way that it sounds. Right. But um, he had also in 2001 assaulted a sex worker with a metal pipe on Halloween. Um, he went over to look at this person's Halloween costume and assaulted him and then was... Uh, just not allowed to go in the village and that is of course where he found his victims which adds uh, another layer of just fucking sadness onto this entire case um and of course he had advertised bruce MacArthur had advertised on uh, sex apps to find submissive men as well um so just it was really scary the community was shaken is shaken is still in recovery mode um so to Justin Ling, this this project is really fucking important, and thank you, and thanks for coming to talk to us, and we really hope that everyone enjoys this conversation. Yeah, so let's hand it over to Justin. <laughs> Without further ado. <laughs>
right, so we're sitting here with Justin Ling, who's an investigative freelance journalist. Hey. Justin, hi. What a treat to have you here. Sure. Thank you for coming. This is so phenomenal. Um, as someone who's binged your show and has absolutely fallen in love with it, I'm trying not to fangirl too, too hard right now. So. Go ahead, Elliot. You can. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll keep it. I'll keep it on the DL. Tom, also, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I'd say today I'm like a... Like a... a, a a rose gold. Why? I'm like happy and positive, but sort of in a subdued way. That's okay. That's that cute. Makes any sense? Totally. Um, I think my color today would probably be like polished wood. Um, <laughs> like it, I really, really need a touch up. Um, and I and I'll get it. And right. like I can shine, but like you, you want f- someone to polish your wood, or yeah, that <laughs> also. But like you scratch the varnish, and you're like, oh, this is disgusting. So that's kind of how I feel today, <laughs> just slightly. Uh, you do look a little disgusting. Thank you. I okay. appreciate that. Yeah, kindness leads the way. <laughs> I think, especially um, on Pride Month. So. Honesty also yeah. is key. Thank you so much, yeah. um, Justin. What's your color? What color is most Monday? Like that is It's a very good question I was thinking about that Like maybe like a Perhaps like an asphalt Or <laughs> I was thinking like a Like you know When tin sort of loses its color <laughs> Yes totally like that. I think I think that's what I am Got it Colorless tin Yeah, that's okay, right. yeah. I like it because I can also taste that that's, Yeah Yeah yeah. You can, yeah, exactly. like, yeah 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 Is this an okay Monday for you Or is it No <laughs> No it's been a long Monday I think I broke my toe this morning Shit oh. Kicked my kicked my table by accident Oh my god I also Not out of anger No like, Literally Monday. instead of like Yeah, yeah Just careless and, I just, and then I just cursed And my dog stared at me Like she did it <laughs> I felt really bad So I tried to like Cover it up What kind of dog do you have I know she's, this is She's a mutt She's she's a rescue from Mexico And she's like Every, every kind of dog That's so all, sweet All rolled into one I hope she knows it's not her fault. If she's listening, you yeah, sure. yeah, she might listen later. <laughs> um, I also think my my foot's been broken for a couple weeks now. Yeah, um, you think everything's wrong with you? Though. <clears throat> That's fair. It's very swollen and it's very painful. <laughs> um, thanks for coming to us, even though it's a it's a, a manic mon- Monday. Yeah, yeah, manic Monday. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, before we get started, I was wondering if you could just tell um, our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a uh, I'm a freelance journalist. I've been. Working in the industry for the better part of a decade, um, and I, yeah, I'm working on a book. I just hosted uh, season three of Uncover, uh, this investigative CBC podcast. Um, and I do lots of stuff. I've I do great. I do a great many things. Cool. Love we love jacks of all trades yeah. here. Jack of all trades, exactly. Um, I love Uncover. I love the village so much. Um, it's. All of our listeners should really go and listen right away. Like, turn this off and go mm-hmm. listen to that. We plugged it a few weeks ago, and I've gotten some messages saying yeah. thanks for the reco. But Just turn this off, unsubscribe. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> stop listening to everything else. You heard it here first. Save the effort for the village. Um, but it's incredibly profound. We have a very complicated history here in Toronto, in mm-hmm. this city, as as a queer community, and um, this really shines a light on it for anyone who's still is on the fence or, or, or we constantly we have people ask us about what we think about um uh police uh, what role should police have in pride uh, and i'd say you know no one's here to answer that question for you but you should definitely go and listen to this podcast and that's pr- that'll probably answer some questions for you totally and um i really want to launch into into the village and your project but first i was wondering if you could answer our big season three question for our listeners um and the first part of that is justin what has fostered your queerness yeah i i grew up in a small town i grew up in cape breton on the east coast and there was no queer community there right i remember 
Um, not Peggy's Cove. No, there's well, Peggy's Cove. Is, Peggy's Cove is a tourist trap. Yeah. It's rocks um, on water. This is rocks on water. There's better rocks in the province. <laughs> I don't even know how those got those special status. What um, a hot take. We're gonna get a lot of angry. Yeah, yeah. Angry come for me, Peggy's Cove. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. I mean, stupid people just keep wandering into the ocean. Um, anyway, not to make fun of all the anyway. Um, all to say is that growing up, like I didn't know queer people. Like I didn't see them. They were never near me. I remember I worked at a small radio station, um, a community radio station, and I was kind of the intern. I was kind of just doing whatever stories they assigned me. So I got assigned to do the story about like Cape Breton's like fifth ever Pride Parade, um, and the Pride Parade's always like hilariously small. They're doing their best, but very very small. And I interviewed the executive director, and uh, we're going through the conversation, and he goes. Um, you know, everybody in the city might not know it, but he, like you know, someone around you is queer, and if you don't know that, it's because you haven't made space for them to tell you that, or it's that you're the queer one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that hit home. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah and so I guess um, kind of moving on to other cities, I started realizing that oh my, like you know, there's all these fantastic queer spaces, um, and that's sort of what kind of you know, I guess. Uh, convinced me that it was kind of okay to like live in that space um but it's 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 interesting to be in this industry right because there's lots of lots of queer people who are journalists or presenters or you know radio hosts or whatever um who kind of keep it subdued right like this that was kind of my mo i think kind of earlier on or at various points of time in my career is just sort of you know downplay the queerness because you don't want to be different or weird and and there's something kind of very inherently political about it and you don't want to seem like you're taking a side like you know the the kind of idea of this you know balanced journalist is that you have to even if you're yourself queer or gay or, or what have you you have to go cover queer or gay issues from this dispassionate point of view as though both sides both the pro and anti-gay side or anti-queer side are both equally valid and I think a lot of journalists throw themselves in that position, and it sucks. I remember talking to this long, long time um, journalist who's who is also you know gay, been married to to a man since he's been legally able to do so, and he told me you know he's like yeah I just stopped talking about it in the office because if you're the gay columnist then you get all the gay columns you get all the mm. gay work and and I don't know all that sucked for me and at a certain point I kind of decided like I'm not gonna play that game anymore I'll just be the unapologetically faggoty. Uh, a journalist and whatever, come what may. I love that so, so, so much. Um, I mean, you you partly did answer it, but the second part of that question is, um, how do you or how will you going forward continue to foster queerness in others? Yeah, I don't don't know. Um, I mean, you you know, it's not that I don't want to... Okay, so I don't want to... Early in my career, I did not want to get typecast as Mm -hmm. the the gay writer. Because again, you you know, queer writers should be able to write about whatever they want to write about, up to and including queer things, but not necessarily. Um... And, like, I just kind of, what I focus on, I focus on a lot of stuff that just don't always involve the community. Um, but every once in a while, I'll kind of stumble into something that I can't, you know, I couldn't ignore or just do want to, you know, grapple with. And that's how we ended up kind of working on this podcast, working on this book, and working on this project, is that, you know, years ago, um, I came to the realization that, you know, there had been three men to go missing from Toronto's gay village. I wasn't even living in Toronto at the time. Uh, I was living in Ottawa, but I realized that there was these three cases of missing men and that they had been more or less kind of forgotten by the media and to some degree by the police. 
and that that deserved a second look, even though I was, you know, supposed to be writing about politics at the time. I was supposed to be covering a federal election. I said, you know, fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some of that aside and um, and kind of focus on this case. And that kind of led to what has now become like a four-year kind of ordeal. And, of course, those three men uh, turned out to be three victims of Bruce MacArthur. Um, that's kind of led me down to doing this podcast and, and to looking at these cold cases. Um, we can get into the, kind of what the podcast is about later, but, you know, that's what kind of you know, put me in this position. So I don't know what would I do next, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's going to kind of depend on what comes up. I think to some degree, I do just kind of want to like, you know, send out the message to, you know, the young queer journalists who are kind of coming out there just to tell them, you know, don't, don't bother trying to play straight or trying to play not super queer because it's just not helpful to you. It doesn't actually matter. No one gives a shit. Mm-hmm. I adore that. I adore that. And we're so lucky too. That lucky that in the city. That I should say yeah. if they give a shit, then fuck them. Right. right, right totally. Right. That's, I love that so much. Um, can we talk a little bit about the village just cause we've kind of touched around it so far. I was wondering if you in your own words can just describe the project and what it's meant to you. Right. So you know, last uh, God, last year, uh, the CBC came to me and said, you know, we want to do some a podcast around, you know, Bruce MacArthur, around the missing and murdered men from the village. And, you know, my initial reaction was, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to add, right? Like, you know, this case is already getting a tremendous amount of, of, of attention. If I'm going to go do something, especially in a new format, like a podcast, I wanted to add something. I want to kind of bring it somewhere else. Um, and so we had this back and forth for a while and we're sort of discussing what that would look like. And it was the CBC who suggested, um, you know, oh, you know, police are suggesting that maybe uh, Bruce MacArthur was responsible for these murders going back to 1975. And I said, yeah, he, he didn't. I don't think we, I don't think he did them to be totally, mm-hmm. to be totally blunt. Having talked to some of the cops, I, I don't think that's, you know, uh, a likely scenario. And they said, great, work on that. So I said, oh, like, okay, you know, and, and it was great. CBC basically brought me in and said, like, you know, what do you need to do this to do it right? And gave me you know, nine months and a team to work on kind of reopening these cold cases. The police are now kind of reanalyzing and trying to figure out if something more we can learn about them. And then from that, you know, we kind of built out this uh, bigger story just about um, you know, queer history, about the queer movement, about, um, you know, relationship with police, with, you know, with the city, with the provincial government. And it was really fascinating. Like, I, I learned, like, a, an absurd amount of stuff. And what was really cool is that the more people we talked to, the more we were teaching them stuff. Like, there were, you know, these, you know, you know uh, queer folks who have been around for 40 years, who have been part of like, every major kind of struggle for civil rights in this country. And I'm telling them things that they've never heard of before about kind of their own struggle, which is cool because, it, because no one's really done a lot of this work of connecting the dots on some of these things. You know, nobody's ever actually looked at, um, you know, this rash of murders in connection with um, the broader struggle for, for queer rights uh, in Canada. You know, nobody's looked at some of these cases of police repression, at least not in many decades. Um, and so it was a really interesting project. And, you know, the CBC was super supportive. You know, I, I didn't think there was going to be much appetite to do sort of a, you know, part true crime, part cold case, part history lesson, part, you know, queer lecture series. But there apparently was. And the reaction has been, like, you know, incredibly good. Um, you know, we and, and what's more, we got to do, uh, we got to go to Detroit and do kind of a, an extra episode looking at how they're sort of tackling um, hate crimes against queer people, especially trans women, especially trans women of color. Um, and so we kind of got to bring it in that direction as well to sort of drag all these issues kind of into the present and into the kind of forward looking. Um, so it's been a really interesting project. I've actually really enjoyed doing it. And um, the thing, that's the Justice Project, correct? 
correct that yeah, you just right. spoke about yeah, yeah so that's um like your bonus episode and if people like just listen to that no matter what no matter even if you've listened to the whole thing like i would yeah, say it stands alone it's so utterly phenomenal phenomenal um and i know that you have a lot of questions tom but i'm gonna just jump ahead of you for one sec please do because this ties into what you were just saying um one of the things that struck me about about the village is that you have this really um this really interesting way of demonstrating how a structural argument works like how systemic violence and how systemic oppression works while really going into the particular details of it so i was wondering if you could kind of speak to how that emerged through your process um and i guess just like what you learned about structural oppression through doing the village yeah i mean you know over the last you know decade of working on you know, wide variety of stories. I've dealt with a lot of cops and like a lot of policing issues. And it's always been an interesting thing to cover because I think the more you cover cops, the more you realize that there are really complicated issues at play. I think it's really easy for people. And I don't blame people for just kind of reflexively saying cops hate the queer community or cops don't understand the queer community or what have you. Um, I, and I understand why people come to that position because oftentimes the cops have given them no reasonable uh, explanation of why why it should be otherwise, why it is otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of the more you deal with these structures, you more re- the more you realize it's really complicated, and it's actually kind of much worse than individual cops being homophobic or not understanding or not appreciating the community. Because if it, that were the problem, then we would solve it by hiring better cops. Mm. The reality is we've hired a lot of good cops, and the problem in many respects is still there. So why is that? Um, and that's when you get to the kind of the structural problems. Um, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of these issues have gotten better, but they haven't gotten better to the extent that you know, we would have the people would have you believe, right? Um, you know, there was a trans woman who uh, was um, who went missing, who was um, you know I don't think adequately looked for by police. Her friends and family were looking for her, um, and police basically were largely unresponsive, not because individual cops didn't care, but because individual cops get um, many complaints about you know missing people and don't necessarily know how to. Prioritize those cases. Don't necessarily know how to, um, you know, treat some cases with you know more sensitivity um, that is actually required in, in those circumstances. Uh, her name is Alora Wells. Um, her body was found, um, you know, several weeks after she died. Her body wasn't identified until several months after she died, uh, and her cause of death is still unexplained. And that, to me, just speaks volumes about, um, you know, how some of these processes just don't work in adequate uh, ways. You know, Tess Ritchie, another uh, young woman who's uh, you know, was was murdered. Her body wasn't found for for more than a week. You know, it, it, you know, even though she was reported missing, even though there was sort of um, supposedly kind of these forces marshaled to find her. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, the structures around police and how we deal with certain cases, especially cases of missing people, especially cases of missing people who are in some ways marginalized, just kind of doesn't work in a lot of ways. And I think part of the problem is, uh, and and this is I think where it kind of all comes to a head. And this is part of the thing that we were trying to really get at is that police are really resistant to acknowledge those failures and actually kind of um, step up in a way to to address them you know they're really they're really incrementalist and that's not surprising right cops are cops are inherently conservative small c conservative um, they don't think in terms of kind of big um, structure they don't tend to think in terms of kind of societal change. They think in terms of processes and management and policies that are written down on paper. Um, And the only way to kind of fix a lot of those things is to sort of talk about those broader societal things and kind of call out where um, those policies and procedures and rules don't match up with kind of where society has gotten on these things. Well, and it's funny too, because in in, um, the village, in the podcast, you're talking to one police officer who, who says that going into queer spaces and queer bars, he himself was uncomfortable and they wouldn't like eat the food or participate really and then 
kind of in the same breath says like, oh, but there wasn't bias. And like, there's this really great Mm -hmm. moment where you kind of take pause and you're like, just you push that a little bit further and you kind of push them to recognize, well, like maybe that did actually affect your policing, right? If you take one step back. And there's no doubt that there are cops who are homophobic or at least, you know, not awake to um, neocultural realities or or what have you. I mean, that's undeniable. Um, At the same time, you know, it's it's almost like we kind of accept that our cops should be slightly behind the times when I think in reality we should be the opposite. We should expect our cops to be a little bit in front of the curve, right? Mm -hmm. Because the only way you're going to stop kind of systemic problems is if your cops are more responsive to the problems, not less than the average person, right? So, yes policing is reflective of just general societal views. You hear that a lot in the podcast. But in a lot of cases, I think people are surprised to learn just how far behind they were in a lot of things. So, um, you know, in 1969, when uh, Pierre Trudeau decided to decriminalize one part of homosexuality, (laughs) um, you know, the the chiefs of police, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, actively lobbied against that change, you know, suggesting that um, should homosexuality be decriminalized, then we're going to see more violence and um, and drug dealing and murder, which is, you know, it's absurd. Um, you know, when George Sewell, the mayor of Toronto, um, basically stood in support of the body politic, an early gay newspaper that was raided by Toronto police, um, tr- the Toronto Police Association in Toronto campaigned against him and helped make sure that he didn't get elected. Um, so, you know, we should expect significantly better. And, you know, you can draw a straight line to what police are doing around pride. Um, rather than sort of hear the criticism they're getting, um, they're more interested in sort of actually kind of attacking pride as an organization. And you can feel, and you can feel I think, um, uncomfortable with police being ban- banned from pride, but also feel uncomfortable with their reaction to it, right? right. Rather than sitting and saying, we hear you, we're going to keep working on, you know, basically getting your membership to support our participation. They turned around and started attacking the, the organization that is pride which I think is is wrong. It's a democratic organization. The, mo- the members voted narrowly, admittedly, to ban police uh, in uniform with weapons from Pride. Right. Um, and again, police, you know, basically just kind of threw the papers in the air back at the community, which is the exact wrong reaction. And the provincial government has decided to enable that um, by basically endorsing the police position, and which I think is just inherently divisive and unnecessarily so. Police are civil servants and they should really act like it. Oh, that's <laughs> fucking amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> All my questions is really stupid now. Um, <laughs> I guess personally, I, I was wondering how difficult, probably not because you're a professional, but how difficult it was to stay neutral while investigating something like this. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, in, I'm of this, I guess, maybe generation or maybe camp of journalism that doesn't really think that neutrality or objectivity is maybe the gold standard, right? Like, you know, I'm still a journalist. I do not believe in sort of position journalism. I don't don't want to be a, you know, a a polemicist or a position journalist. I'm not a columnist necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't identify with a political party or really any particular ideology. That said, like, you know, I don't feel the need to be neutral when I'm dealing with, um, you know, police not doing their jobs in terms of solving murders. I don't know what neutrality looks like there. Um, you know, to wring your hands and say, well, you know, both sides have a point when it comes to unsolved murders doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, when it comes to basic human rights questions doesn't make sense either. I think neutrality means giving people a fair shake, right? And and, and hearing their motivations and, and portraying them ad- you know, accurately, which I think throughout the whole podcast we tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um 
we weren't out here to denigrate cops necessarily. We weren't out here to, um, you know, condemn the chief of police. We were out here to kind of point at failures, both systemically and personally, um, and sort of ask why they happened and to push for, you know, kind of uh, accountability for them. Um, and I think that's what we did. And, you know, I heard from, um, you know, I heard f- Actually, you know, it's funny. I didn't hear from many cops who were—I didn't hear from many cops who were upset, and not that they would call me anyway. Um, I heard from <laughs> one a woman who's married to a police officer, I think, in the states, who wrote me very. Actually, I should really respond to her. She wrote me this very long, kind of thoughtful email about why she thought it was—you know—we were basically not giving a fair shake to the policing structures. Interesting. Hmm. And it was—it was well argued, and you know, I—I I, I heard her. Um, she, her basic argument was, you know, it's very hard to be a police officer. It's not easy to solve these questions. You know, they do their best. They can often communicate that and that's all fair sure yeah um i also heard from you know a current toronto uh, police officer who had an involvement in this case who called to say listen i love the podcast and all the questions are fair you know like we don't have mm-hmm. to agree with the questions you've been raised or the conclusions you've drawn but the accountability is ultimately a good thing and i think that's a really healthy attitude and that attitude is um in the toronto police service and other police services and i think it's increasingly common and it was an attitude that was around in the macarthur case um Hank Singa, who is the um, the kind of officer in charge of the investigation, who's now the head of the, of the homicide squad, is arguably one of the most kind of um, accountability oriented and kind of public facing officers I've dealt with in any police service anywhere in the country. Um, and he, you know, I think is much more forward thinking and kind of progressive um, on a lot of these questions than the average officer or detective. And I think that's really good. So I, I think I think. Um, I think it's kind of it's not really our job to carry water for the cops. It's mm-hmm. our job to sort of hold them accountable, hold those structures accountable, ask you know where things need to be improved, and it's their job to respond to it. Um, they don't have to agree with it, but I think they have to respond to it. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering, and this this might be a naive question, but doing this project, what was the thing that surprised you the most as you were going through all of this? Honestly, what surprised me the most is how little a lot of this has been documented. Right. right? Um, like I said, there's things... So, actually, here's what actually surprised me the most. Um, when I started looking at this case, uh, thanks to some other reporting that was done by the CBC and the National Post and others, you know, I learned that there were um, something like 14 murders in about a three-year period in the late 70s. That In, in the gay village, all all, uh, all gay men, there was um, some other cases of, of... Two cases of uh, trans women being murdered as well around the same time. Um, all that surprised me. What really shook me is the fact that that pattern was repeated in Montreal, in New York City, in Texas, in California, several times over, um, Hamilton, Oshawa. There was all of these cities across North America, in some cases around the world, um, going from the mid-70s right up till today, where you'll see not just kind of um, a high number of murders of queer people, but these huge spikes over two, three, four years where, you know, Upwards of half half a dozen, upwards of a dozen um, queer people um, are murdered in kind of very uh, quick succession. And not necessarily by one person. In a lot of cases, they're killed by multiple people. Um, That was really jarring for me. And I've never really seen anyone actually document that pattern in any coherent way. And even though, you know, these cases have remarkable similarities. You know, we interview um, an activist from Montreal who basically said, you know, I have no idea why these murders happened. I have no, I have no kind of compelling explanation for why they happened. And he himself was kind of saying, you know, I'm struck by how similar these were to the Toronto killings, which he didn't even know that much about until we kind of brought it up to him. So Mm, um, that was really surprising. The fact, and, and again, I think it goes into the fact that the community 
has been so kind of concerned with its own survival um, for so long that it's done quite a bad job of documenting its own history. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of unfortunate. And I think that's something that has to change because, you know, there's an old adage, something like, you know, um, those who don't uh, understand their own history are doomed to repeat it, which I actually think is a really dumb adage. <laughs> I, I, I don't like axioms like that. But um, it's, not, it's not totally wrong. I think, like, unless we do a better job of documenting this, it's going to get lost. Totally. It's funny, like, I was, you know, walking around. I like to listen to podcasts and 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 walk and I was listening to yours walking down actually specifically in front of some of the places you were naming and I was just struck by I live here I live in this community mm. I live in this city I'm a queer person and I did not know it I just didn't and I got same really mad at myself me too but I mean I, I know it's not totally my fault that I didn't know but that's what I find so fascinating like well the reasons behind why the hell it's been covered or not not explored not explained and we listen to a lot of um like true crime and investigative podcasts and to hear toronto and the village be covered with the same um i guess that just with like the amount of um weight behind it as you would see other cases american cases cases that get a lot more it's it's very it was very bizarre to realize yeah. like just right outside these doors all this history is there waiting to be discovered and not discussed about well i mean part of the problem is that a lot of this only lives in you know the minds of the activists who are around for it, or in boxes in the in the queer archives, right? right? So um, it's going to require some work to get all that stuff kind of online or you know in a kind of more readable format. And it's been done. It's not like we're the first people to think to do this. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a there's a queer anthology that's been written. There's um, you know historians, especially those who work with the archives, um, who have kind of put together kind of pretty good histories of um you know queer canada but in a lot of cases it's you know it's queer it's canada writ large um right, and right. in some cases they just haven't like there's only so you know you only have 400 pages in a book you can't um you know and there's definitely you know probably a four-part series you can write about toronto in and of itself mm-hmm. um so yeah it's not enough that's been done and there's there's plenty to do and i mean that's just toronto i mean if we had gone we could have done the same podcast in montreal we probably could have done it in vancouver um several other cities and you know there's probably lots of room for someone to do that i'm curious too now that you've completed it and congratulations it's very exciting yeah, thank you. um what would you want to say to yourself like four years ago as you were starting this is there anything that you learned that you think is really crucial or you know what, if I got to go back and talk to myself four years ago, so you know, 2015 when I first started working on the story of these missing men, um, I wish I had told myself to not listen to the cops. Hmm. Because with the cops, they didn't convince me of it. But every time I talked to them, it was sort of, you know, I, we, we, these guys kind of took off. Or, you know, we don't... We don't, we don't think there's foul play or, you know, there's, no, it's not a serial killer here. Don't know if these cases are connected. Oh, yeah, you know, that guy had substance abuse issues. Oh, yeah, he was homeless. Nah. I wish I had ignored that because I, I genuinely think if I'd, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to delude myself into thinking I would have solved the case um, all on my own, mm. especially where, you know, 12 officers had tried and failed to do that same thing. Right. But I, I, I think if I had paid more attention, I would have found, you know, Suresh Mahmoodi, whose disappearance was never connected to the original three, even though he went missing just a couple years later. Um, I think it's possible that I, you know, I could have found um, somebody who, you know, would have told me that little tidbit of information that would have advanced the case a little further or got more attention for it um, or that would have helped me publish it earlier because ultimately I didn't get to publish anything until 2017 Mm. um, just before Andrew Kinsman went missing so yeah or you know I just kind of wish I told myself publish sooner like I wish I just published something and and kept on it um, in 2015 or 2016 instead of 2017 Um, 
Yeah, I think that would be the advice I gave because like it is a regret that like I I know I even looked at at one point I did look at Sarush Mahmoodi's missing persons page and mm-hmm. just didn't just didn't connect it. Um, which also I think you know highlights that it's very easy to sit and say cops should have seen X, cops should have seen Y, but at a certain point you know erring uh, is human. Yeah, so. totally. That's really important to remember too. It's it's eerie listening back into the first episode of of this podcast, um, Dick Quick, because Tom and I just kind of like flippantly banter about the missing men and just kind of throw out the idea that there might be a serial killer. And then to see it emerge in real time and to see this all kind of come crashing down around is really frightening. And it's something, um, and again, you literally hear this on every single true crime piece of media, but not in this town, right? Not here, like not in the village. And, and I think there's something really powerful to, to be said, especially for queer resiliency and queer activism moving forward is that we all need to, um, check in more and I don't say this to diminish anyone because it because like the people that you interview of course that was happening and there were people sticking up for these men when they went missing but um I think it's just really important to remember that complacency is the devil in this situation right and and just to stay active yeah well said um also you of course aren't only this project and I'm really Mm. curious about (laughs) what um what's next for you what have you been working on yeah I've kind of got back I mean you know my uh normal career i'm usually focused on like a lot of like security i do focus on a lot of policing stuff like i like looking at kind of structures of policing because that is woefully undercovered in this country um you know i i try to focus on criminal justice a fair bit um you know i i I think um the current federal government has has fucked up a whole bunch of different things on that front um but actually you know just today i was i was following um you know the missing and murdered indigenous women uh, and girls uh, report being released mm-hmm. i'm trying to work on something on, on on that kind of looking at kind of the broader scope of the problem in north america um so it's a lot of different stuff i mean i i haven't totally left behind the village you know there's still kind of conversations happening about whether or not it makes sense to, to adapt that into some sort of film or, or movie um hi please do that <laughs> please yeah I, if we do it i want to do it in a way that is um sensible like, right I, I don't like, you know, there's been interest from some very uh, unpleasant true crime stations that I just have zero interest <laughs> Sensationalized in Sensationalized and it's yeah. perverted. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Zero interest. So yeah, 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 those yeah. conversations are, are happening and, and we'll see we'll see where they go. Um, but yeah, there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of stuff going on. The federal election, uh, terrifyingly close. You just wrote an article, right, about third parties interfering quite yeah. possibly with the election. I was wondering if you could maybe just briefly speak about that. Yeah, it's... I mean, like I've spent a lot of time kind of focusing on, <laughs> since going back to the last election, um, you know, uh, Russian meddling in Canadian politics, but also just kind of um, domestic efforts to sort of uh, whip up, you know, division and hatred and paranoia and conspiracy and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so just recently, I kind of wrote a story for the Globe and Mail about uh, one set of pages in particular that's being run in part by um, a conservative party organizer who's, you know, doing this totally legally, totally within the rules, um, but it's basically setting up kind of these astroturf kind of fake, like, you know, sites that are peddling in um, anti-Muslim paranoia and uh, climate change skepticism and all this, um, and which doesn't have to report any of its activities or who's helping run it. And it seems like some of the people who are helping running at least one of these sites are not even in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's this sort of stuff that's just, you know, I think... Oh, is that all? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) People are finally kind of coming around to it, but it's... um, yeah, it's a problem that's been kind of inadequately dealt with over the last couple of years. Well, and of course, you always hear the like, oh, that's what that's the state's problem. Like that happened in yeah. America, wouldn't happen here. And it's like, okay, we really need yeah. to start opening our just eyes. just keeps happening here too. Literally like, <laughs> yeah. hey, October election coming up. Like, let's see if it is really only America, right? 
Um, but also I'm curious too, just from a different standpoint, um, what do you do for like joy? Like how, like, what do you do for like queer fun or like queer <laughs> joy? Cause I feel like you're someone who looks at a lot of darkness, you know, and that must be yeah. a lot. Um, I mean like RuPaul's Drag Race every Thursday, which yes. is unfortunately over. <laughs> um, I'm actually just going, I started, uh, the show very, very late. Mm. Um, so I'm going back and watching old seasons now, which is bringing me some joy. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And then like, you know, the, whenever there's a, there actually was just a, a incredibly fun party on Saturday. Um, the Rainbow Railroad, which helps queer people get out of uh, tough spots around the world mm-hmm. through a big party slash ball at, uh, the Contemporary Art Museum in my neighborhood, which was very, very fun. Oh, cool. I love that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I do, I do normal people Joyful stuff. Things. I've done a better job of turning like my phone email off, uh, when I get home and like, like smoking my legal weed Yay. and just like <laughs> watching dumb TV and just ignoring my email. I love that. Speaking of grasping for joy, yes. can we do a lightning round sure. Yes, we have you? some questions sure. for you. It's silly. Please take it right. as such. Also, while we find it, just because you mentioned Rainbow Railroad, I want to say I'll be waving the pride flag um, at the Jays game for Rainbow Railroad. Um, and I'll be watching okay. the Jays game. It will have I'll already happened. It. Yeah. So you may have seen me on the field, which <laughs> I really hope they don't need professional flag I'm actually going to like uh, like yell profanities at you. Like homophobic slurs Yeah, at I'm going to yeah. hate crime you It might actually the galvanize the movement if you do that. So I think that's <laughs> yeah, queer activism, Tom. Okay. <laughs> are you ready, Tom? Yeah. Justin, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Shoot. What is your pronoun? What are your pronouns? He, him. Justin, what's your favorite swear word? Fuck. What's your favorite body part? Ooh. Uh, arms. Mm. Mm. What's your favorite movie? Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Um, what's your favorite mythical creature? Ooh. Like a... I don't think I made. I mean, it's like a really massive bear. <laughs> I, made, I made that one up. It's like a really huge bear. Like Ursa Major. I um, love it. What's your favorite noise? My favorite noise. Oh God. Um, wait, this is gonna take me a second. I don't. Take that's time. fine. What's it's like queer lightning round. So. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> time. Time is queer. Uh, what's my favorite noise? I actually. Oh, you know what? The sound of a champagne popping. Yes. Oh, yeah. Good oh, that's that's amazing. Good, it's a really satisfying noise. Who's your celebrity crush? Oh, Rami Malek. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Uh, what do you wish you knew more about? Oh, she knew how to, like, code. Mm. My, my, my partner is, like, a web developer, and I'm vaguely envious that I don't know how to anything that he does. It's yeah. The wave of the future. Same, yeah. Um, who is your queer icon? That's my queer icon. Tina Turner. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, Unless you're not even queer, but that's okay. What would your <laughs> friend say is your best quality? Can I phone a friend? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I choose to believe it's my sense of humor. I love it. Um, what are you most grateful for? I'm most grateful for? I think my dog. Aww. Yeah. What do you hate about straight culture? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I hate about straight culture. Um Oh, like really serious country music. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Yes. yeah. Cue the serious I country music. I love Jesus and trucks and yeah. my daughter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, the truck and the daughter are the same person. <laughs> um, what's your queer superpower? It's my queer superpower. I hope it's making uh, straight people care about queer things. That's we the just here. We just got to write up an Oprah magazine. That's pretty cool. Oh, fucking cool. I don't know if it's in the magazine, but it's on the website anyway. So exciting. I'm going to force my mom to listen to this. Po- oh, no, my mom doesn't know what a podcast is. Um, <laughs> What's your biggest queer fear? 
Oh, I think it's queer fear. Oh, God. Oh, let me get complacent. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is your queer mantra? It's my queer mantra? Uh, oh, God. I know, it's a, it's some deep questioning for a no, lightning it's, it's, Yeah, it's it is. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like my favorite Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Cue all the Tina Turner songs. Yeah, honestly. Um, the bitch is back. <laughs> Fuck yes. That's <laughs> amazing. That. <laughs> um, and finally, so we have um, a, like a lovely being behind you, or p- perhaps demonic. I'm not too sure. This is Pepper. She's our mascot. We mm-hmm. revere her. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe fear. And we're just maybe wondering what kind of vibes you're getting from her. Oh, sorry, I misgendered them. Well, they, they observe all genders. All genders. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, uh, what vibes are getting from them? I'm getting like a like a 2 a.m. karaoke vibe, <laughs> like the unkept hair and the microphone. It's pretty funny, so that I did karaoke at 2 a.m. last night. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> got that great glazed over look in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's flawless. I love it. What do you think she might be singing? Well, it's CBC meow meow meow. So <laughs> some some can con. The only Tina Turner single yeah. actually. <laughs> CBC meow meow meow. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. Um, one last thing, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. Um, so our we call her Patient Zero. Leah Canali is like a staple in the village, an amazing singer, just like a queen. Um, and she is obsessed with you and your show. So she oh, just wanted me to you. pass on um how how in awe of you she is and that she loves you. So thanks. That's from Leah. I love her too. It's <laughs> cute. <laughs> That's very cute. I had to. Um, we have uh usually our episodes are downers sometimes sure. and so we like to end on a, a oh joyful and this one is note. a real bundle of joy <laughs> <laughs> actually it's it's kind of there's hope okay. in it yeah. um we're wondering uh what your double rainbow is that meaning anything that nice that's happened in the last week or day or month and it can be profound or mundane oh actually it's not even it's not even joyful um <laughs> it's actually quite bitter uh <laughs> that counts. we're the same person that yeah uh lindsey shepherd who uh got infamy for getting fired from some university because she insisted on making everyone watch Jordan Peterson videos. Uh, Who seems to have uh, no other kind of redeeming qualities. Was Uh, that the TA? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Who who got fired from being a TA for being a bad TA and then somehow (laughs) turned it into a civil rights issue. I remember that. (laughs) Um, She got very triggered because um, cities have started painting rainbow crosswalks everywhere. Um, So she sent this tweet basically saying... Saying, um, she was basically all offended that rainbows have become just tools of LGBTQ peoples um, and just seemingly angry that we've co-opted the rainbow. Um, so you're double rainbow. Brought, that brought me joy. Is that, yeah, my, is that uh, she seems so offended. So. We should find out where she lives and paint rainbows on her house. Rainbows, that yeah, that's actually. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's advocacy, illegal. right? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> activism. Tom, what's your double rainbow? Oh, uh, shoot. Um... Oh fuck! I wasn't prepared for this. I can go if you'd like. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Please. Um, we had a we had a mini podcast crisis. Um, today we lost some we lost some audio, which is never fun, and slash is the first time it's ever happened on this show. Um, and my double rainbow is just the way that you guys dealt with it as a team. You really lifted me up, and we just reverted to like nonsense, like cackling laughter, and it it was great because I don't really do well in crises, and watching you two deal. Jesse and I Tom. honestly like picked you up and yeah. like, like raised you into the stuff. shook me and laughed in my face yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's mine <laughs> um I was uh well not to toot your horn too much mm. but it was simple for me I was walking around this nice city in this nice weather and listening to your podcast and I felt really 
you know, I was, you know, I wore sunglasses because I knew I'd cry. I always fucking cried every day. Mm-hmm. It was like I felt really connected to the community and where I live. And I felt pride and I felt shame and I f- had questions. And I just, I don't know, I feel like I'm more connected to the city and this community because of it. I cool. love that. Well, nice. Justin, thank you so, so, so much. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. All of our listeners, unsubscribe to us. Unsubscribe to the village. Rate, give review. us one star. Give them five. Can you take our stars and give them to the village? Because if you can, then you should do that. Find us on all the things and email us. And more than anything, check out, of course, the village. Yes. Justin's Without podcast. further a queer, we'll see you all see next you Tuesday. Tuesday. Bye. Do you queer? 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 Do you que